This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mattress Firm. Do you get the quality sleep you need? Mattress Firm will find you the right bed for your best rest with their wide selection of quality mattresses at every price. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale. Sleep at night. What's good, y'all? So the news that's been happening in Gaza and Israel has been heavy on our minds here at Code Switch, and we know it's probably on yours, too. People are asking really important questions about power and violence and oppression, all the things we get into on the show a lot. And we're working on covering this moment with nuance and humanity, but we just don't want to add to the din right now. So we're going to come back to this when we have something useful to say. All right, on to the show. All right, y'all, just a heads up. This episode is going to contain some salty language, which means it's going to be some cussing. So you've been warned. What's good, y'all? You're listening to Code Switch. I'm Gene Demby. Any new parent will tell you about how much information, how many opinions gets thrown at them about how to raise their kids. A lot of the stuff you're going to hear is contradictory. A lot of it is just suggestions you ain't even asked for about how to feed your baby, about what to feed your baby, about sleep schedules, about screen time. Oh my God, the screen time discourse, y'all. And that advice is rarely, really about, you know, formula versus breastfeeding. Those conversations are really about your values, the way you see the world or the way you're supposed to see the world. And becoming a parent makes all of these questions about your values more urgent. Like, what do I want to pass on to my child? What's the stuff I grew up with that I absolutely do not want to pass along? Your parents' own choices about how to parent you might become way more legible to you, or maybe they might make less sense. It's a very heady time, y'all. Much of what we inherit and pass on, though, is kind of a social momentum we get from the people around us. Just a few weeks ago, an expecting father I know, a white dude, told me about how casually and consistently other white folks he knew have started telling him and his wife, kind of warning them really, that they shouldn't get too attached to their house or their neighborhood in D.C. because in a few years they were going to have to move, you know, because of the schools. And by now, we all know that because of the schools is kind of a smokescreen. It's kind of a dog whistle, right? It's about race and real estate and taxes and residential segregation and hoarding resources. Shout out to Hannah Jaffe Walt. And when his child gets here, that child is going to be implicated in all of that. Anyway, y'all, I keep thinking about that conversation because my friend got invited into this new club where people are like, Okay, you're one of us now. This is what's expected. And that happens a lot too, right? When you become a new parent, if you become a new parent, you've got this whole new identity that adds fresh dimension and texture and consequence to the other identities that you're already carrying around. This week, we are revisiting a conversation about some of this stuff that I had with the comedian Hari Kohn Debolu about race and identity and parenting. It was over a year ago, and I was still more or less in that fugue state of fresh parenthood when we recorded this, which you're probably going to hear, I'm sorry. Uh, But Hari was a little further along as a parent, and both of us had our kids during, you know, a global pandemic. So those normal new parent feelings of dread about the state of the world, of social isolation, all that was just supercharged. 
And a lot of those feelings make up the backbone of his comedy special from this past summer. It's called Vacation Baby. Me and my partner have had very different experiences being parents, and it was clear it was going to be different from day one. I remember she was holding the baby in her arms, and she was crying, and she looked at the baby, and then she looked at me, and she said, this is the greatest thing I've ever created. And I think she wanted me to say me too, but the thing is, I have a Netflix special, and it's so good, like from beginning to end. Joke, 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 wonderful the whole way through, and... I just met this kid, you know what I mean? The jury is out. When I spoke to Hurry back in 2022, when our kids were smaller, I started by asking him a deliberately provocative question. Is fatherhood even necessary today? It's complicated because on one hand, it's like, what's the difference between fatherhood and parenting, Right. Exactly. And then when you start creating differences, those are gender differences, right? And, like, examples that are based on, like, gender norms. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, especially in the last few years in the mainstream, there's been more of, like, a, a critical questioning of gender, right? And so it's almost like, well, you know, even, like, even claiming I'm a father, and let's say, you know, I have a son, right? Like... Even that, just saying I have a son is like, okay, I'm going with what he was assigned at birth, which I guess I helped assign it. Like, you know, as a, as a father who is, is raising a son, I still want to try to teach my kid not to be a piece of shit, right? You know, how do I raise a kid that is not steeped in toxic masculinity that, you know, maybe he's still seeing in the outside world. I want them to know that, like, uh, being a quote-unquote man does not have to look this way. And at the same time, I'm like, I don't know if conveying that stuff is is limiting him and also reinforcing something in society. Should I just be viewing this as a human being? I'm a human being raising a human being. And I'm like, I, I don't know. And that's usually when the kid poops and then, you know, you, you don't you stop thinking about it. You're just like, whoever this animal is, the diaper has to be changed. Yeah, I mean... You know that gif with, like, Puffy uh, and that dude where they're just sort of staring at each other? Like, <laughs> I feel like that is me and, and my baby right now. It's, like, just trying to size each other up. And I actually don't know who in that gif I am if I'm Puffy <laughs> looking, uh, like, judging the other person or, or the person during the headlines being judged. But right now, I feel like I'm thinking all these big existential thoughts. And the logistics of being a parent is just, like, feeding, sleeping, pooping, cuddling, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, we're not at the stage where we're necessarily talking. Like, we, like my kid doesn't understand anything yet, right? But I know that we are going to have to sit with these big questions about, like you said, not being a piece of shit um, and gender and race very soon. Um, like, these are not avoidable questions. And also that the way that I'm answering these questions is going to be very different from the way that my mom answered these questions for me, right? That's right. That's right. And you and I have talked about this a little bit before, but I'm wondering who, if anyone, you were looking to as a template for, like, the kind of father you would like to be. Hmm. I mean, you know, I'm, I think I'm fortunate enough, or depending on your situation, um, you know, to have a, a father that is in my life, I uh, was there growing up. So, so, you know, I guess the assumption is, well, you know, isn't that the role model? And, you know, I 
I, I, I have complicated feelings, you know, about that. I mean, I think my my father, like a lot of men from a lot of different cultures, you know, I'm going to talk specifically about my South Indian culture, mm-hmm. like grew up uh, steeped in patriarchy, as did my mother, right? So, you know, growing up, he he never cooked, he never cleaned, he never uh, you know, did the laundry, he didn't... Like all these things that were considered women's work. And the thing is, that was reinforced to me not only by the fact that he didn't do those things, that my mother did those things, but also if I was going to the kitchen or wanted to help, I was told this isn't your job. Um, So it was by my mother. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's why patriarchy is deep. It's not just like men who are affected by it. Like it becomes part of – it's like this is how you raise a boy, which is confusing to me looking at it now because my mom is somebody who broke lots of gender norms – uh, in southern India as a woman that was educated who didn't want to get married as her first, like, this is what I want to do, but I want to be a a doctor. She was a doctor very young with her own practice, and then she got married, moved to America, and lost those things. So I'm like, you're already somebody, one, who defied so many uh, gender norms and expectations, and then you kind of, like, went along with it and you know, weren't able to do the thing you love. So to me, it's like, why are we accepting this? And that's what I think now. Back then, I was just, you know, you're a kid. You're just going with what you're told. Um, so, like, a lot of times I have a tough time because I'm like, that's not what I want to be as a partner and a and a father. So oftentimes who I end up modeling myself after are my peers. You know, I'm, I'm 39 years old. My partner also is... Uh, you know, in my age range, I feel bad because it's like, is, is it stupid that I'm not giving her age? Isn't that a stereotype of women? But at the same time, I don't know. Uh, anyway, but the point is that I'm an older father. So I've had friends who've had kids who are now like eight, nine, ten years old. And seeing them be parents and seeing them be fathers and seeing them uh, be partners in at least in the examples I'm giving in heterosexual relationships you know, I see how um, they contribute in the household. The fact that they see the work of a household as something that is shared, that is not gendered, um, that they acknowledge that their partner has work too. The both of them are doing work outside the house. So the work in the house has to be split, which is my mom had a full-time job and was doing all the other stuff as uh, a a quote-unquote, like as a quote-unquote housewife and mother so she was doing two or three jobs, two of them at least that weren't being paid for, you know, that were not monetized. So my best friend is behaving in a way that I find admirable and that I want to emulate. How he talks to his wife, how, you know, they both work through issues together as parents. And it's not that, I'm, look, I get it. Like they, they definitely fight like all human beings mm-hmm. fight and they have their issues, but I see how they parent together and you know i'm i'm in my like late 20s watching this and it's so foreign to me you know to see how it works cuz i not only cuz it's my friend that's parenting but also like i didn't have that experience growing up nor did he probably i mean what about for you what is it like for you to parent in this situation and also how I mean, who are your models as a parent and i guess as a father yeah i mean that's such a, a heavy question and it's part of the reason why i decided to start um, asking my friends about their experiences with their fathers because, you know, I've talked about this a little bit on the show before, but 
I didn't grow up with my father at, at home at all. One of the reasons I don't like talking about it is because it always feels like this like cultural pathology thing, like, oh, a black man, another black child who was raised in this fatherless home in the 1980s and 90s. Mm. But it really didn't feel like that. Like, you know, like I grew up in a neighborhood where there weren't a lot of fathers around. And so there was nothing about it that seemed anomalous to me, right? Mm. Um, and if anything, the fathers who were like in my block, in my neighborhood, who were like, you know, there were a bunch of kids on my block and we all played together. And the three or four kids who had fathers in the home had the kind of fathers that seemed like agents of chaos to me, right? Like, it did not feel like, to me, that life would be better off if if a cat like that was in my house. You know what I mean? Mm. When I talked to my friends about it, I was like, oh, well, you have a blank slate. And I was like, well, I don't, right? I still get the same cultural scripts that everyone else gets, too, right? And I don't, I don't know how much they work, right, for me, which is one of the reasons I want to talk to my friends. And like you said, like, a lot of the people who I look to as models of how to do this are contemporaries of mine. Right. So when you talk about, like, not liking, like, the scripts, are you talking about those examples or are you talking about just everything that you've seen in media and in your life in terms of, like, what, like, the script for a father is? Yeah, you know, all of the stuff, like, all the dude stuff that I learned in my life. Like, I learned from the women in my life, right? Like, my cousin Carol told me how to shoot a basketball, right? Right. Like, my mom told me about... What you know, she told me the rules of football, right? She told me about like this is a four three defense. Like, you know, we were in Philly, you know what I mean? Everybody's an Eagles fan, so whatever. You know what I mean? But like the people who were in my world who were doing all of the things that are like stereotypically masculine were women. The people who tied my ties, right? And like, you know what I mean? The idea that those things are the domain of men is not necessarily true, right? So then it's like, okay, so what is it that a father would do? And if it's not these like like you said, if it's not these sort of stereotypical male things, then It's like, oh, we're talking about this other stuff, right? We're talking about being emotionally available and being present and being accountable, right? Um, Right. And that is not necessarily a model I've seen in real life outside of my contemporaries. After the break, more of my convo with Hari Kondabolu. Stay with us, y'all. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit their website to get a quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. Then just choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bluehost. Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit Bluehost.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. 
There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Gene, Hari, Code Switch. Before the break, I was talking to Hari Kondabolu about fatherhood and parenting and race. And as new parents of kids who will have different racial identities from different generations than us, we were really curious about that inevitable distance and experience between them and us. You know, your child will be mixed. Mine Mm -hmm. will as well. Your partner is an Indian American, right? Yeah, she's South Asian. Yep, Mm -hmm. She's from India. So she came over as an immigrant when she was three. Um, oh, she's yeah. the real deal then. She grew up in California to be like, you know what I mean? Like right. all her references are like Luther Vandross and, and, right. and Anita Baker. Like it's, it's fun. Like it's fun. Like she, yeah, I mean, yeah. My partner is, you know, Puerto Rican and, and Italian and, you know, reads as white. So my child, like I don't know, you know, what he will look like as he gets older. Because right now he's still like you see some somewhat of an outline, but he's still clay. So I don't. You know, I don't know. I mean, h- how do you feel about that? Like, when you see your child, do you immediately identify with your child, like, physically? So, a funny thing is, like, everybody I know says that my son looks exactly like me, which I don't see. But everyone's like, no, mm. he looks exactly like you. But one of the things that I think about a lot is, like, even in my family, like, a kid with his complexion, he's somewhere between me and my wife. Um, I'm dark-skinned. She's, like, well, I guess we see olive color, but I don't even know what that. <laughs> I don't, what is olive color? But he's like butterscotch, right? Um, and he's right. getting darker all the time. But like in my family, there's plenty of people as dark as me and as light as him. You know what I mean? Mm. So he looks like you know a Demby, right? At the same time, there's all these experiences that I have moving through the world as a dark skinned black man that he will not have as a like as a light skinned black person. And like, yeah. there's going to be all these ways in which that will not be exactly applicable to him, right? And the way people respond to him. Like, I know what it's like to be a black man in my age in the world, but also, like, he's going to live in a world that is materially different around a lot of the stuff, right? Like, I imagine this is sort of what mom felt. Like, she was born in 48. She was in D.C. at Howard when the King riots happened in 1968, right? Like, she lived in a different world, right? She has, like, a bunch of racial politics that she imparted to me and also, like, are not my racial politics because we grew up in, like, a very different world, right? Mm. I know my mom had a very specific anxiety over my safety when I was a kid, right? When I was, like, becoming a, a, a adolescent. And I was no, no longer had, like, baby fat on my face, right? Um, and I was about the police. And, like, I I know that that's going to be a, a thing that's going to be, like, crushing for me. Like, that is going to be, like, a waking concern for me all the time. We live in a black and Latino neighborhood that is, like, gentrifying in D.C. And there are cops everywhere, everywhere there's a police car up until like three or four weeks ago that was like posted up on our corner every day all day all night till like three in the morning with the lights blinking and it was annoying because i'd be trying to put this baby down with the like police blue right. blue and whites like blinking in the in the house and i'm like sooner or later it's going to because that's the, the nature of like the united states like he's going to have contact with these people and it can go all kinds of ways huh and i just i had a lot of resentment around it before but now i have like a deeper like more sort of like um, the directional sort of anxiety about it. You know what I mean? It's strange, Gene, because I feel like I have the flip side of that. Say more. I'm curious. You know, because my child most likely will be lighter than me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, neither of us know. That variable is is very haunting, right? Like, how will they be read 
by the world and how will they be treated as a result of that, right? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the hope that the world is a lot better when they hit a certain age than it was for us and our parents and so forth and so on. But, you know, that fear that you have of, like, the idea of this legacy of racism, the day-to-day functioning within a, a structure of racism affecting your child and that bitterness, there was a, there was a moment which, uh, you know, I was, I'm embarrassed about but is real that well, my, my child was, was born and he was light, you know, much lighter than me. And I thought to myself, like, maybe this is good because his life will be easier. And, mm. and I'm like, but that's everything I'm against. Yeah. You know, how, how do you turn to that person, right, who believes in uh, public school, but your kid's in private school? Exactly. Like, how does that how happen? happen? Yeah, exactly. And I had that moment where, like, I wasn't thinking as me as a person with these values who tries to live out his values in his life. It was me thinking as a father who's only thinking about, like, I just want everything to work out for him. Mm-hmm. And it was just an awful, an awful feeling. And it was an awful feeling because it also is almost like so much of what I've done in my life is talk about the unfairness of white privilege and, and whiteness and the history of, of race in this country and how, like, it affects all of us to this day. And, and, and yet... There was a part of my brain when I saw my child that wanted him to have some of those advantages. Hmm. I'm actually curious, like, what are some of the things that you grew up loving from your childhood, that you cherish from your childhood, that will be the hardest things to replicate for your own child. Oh, man. Playing on the street? Yes. I haven't seen kids yell car in such a long time. Like, you're playing, like, whether it's, like, a basketball hoop set up in, um, in someone's front yard or, um, you know, whether it's playing football on the street or baseball or whatever, and then all of a sudden a car is turning and everyone yells car and you run out of the way. Mm-hmm. Like, that makes me feel bad that he won't have that experience because, one kids aren't playing outside and two how many people know their neighbors now mm-hmm. and so that is one thing you know the idea of trick-or-treating in your neighborhood and or in your apartment building because i've done both and <laughs> knowing every person that lives there and and feeling connected and you know seeing somebody grow up you know that i i, I feel bad that he's not gonna have that the same way that i did i feel bad that his He's going to have elements of different cultures because of, you know, me and his mom. But it won't be the same. I can't give him something from the source, right? Mm-hmm. He's getting secondhand knowledge from me, depending on how long my parents are around to give him firsthand knowledge. Like, I'm, I'm uh, having to give him something that's filtered through the lens of somebody born here with their set of experiences. Like, I feel bad that I can't give him quote-unquote culture, whatever that means, in a way that can preserve more of it. Hmm. I mean, those, those are just a handful of things. What is the thing you, you think you will be able to replicate that, that you're, like, most excited to teach him when it's time? I mean, look, I, I don't know because it also depends on the willingness of my kid. Right now, I know that he doesn't like to be held too long. <laughs> I don't know if that's just because he's 18 months or that's his personality. Like, I want to do my own thing. My mom always watched 
like sports with me, especially tennis. And I know like that's something I, I wanted. I want to watch baseball with my kid. My mom still watches basketball with me, which is weird. She got into basketball in her sixties. But oh, wow, it's Steph Curry, man, yeah. it's magic. Um, <laughs> and we're New Yorkers, so that says a lot. That's very weird. But yeah, but you know that being you know, I want to be able to have real conversations with my kid. I want to talk to him as an adult and not in a way where his childhood feels like, you know, I have to be this young adult who takes up all this responsibility, but in a way where we can talk about things, you know, that are real, which is something that, again, the love my mom in particular, and it's not to say my father didn't love us, but my mom, like, certainly doing the bulk of the raising, that love that she gave us, the way she interacted with other human beings... The fact that our grandmother was in India, so she would introduce us to the older people in the building because that would be our surrogate grandparents, you know, while my grandmother wasn't there. And we would spend afternoons with them because at least we would know how to interact with older people as a result. The idea of, like, instilling those kinds of values, which are not religious, but more like how do you connect with different types of humanity, Mm -hmm. those bigger things, I, I feel that that's something because of who me and my partner are. And because of the love I had growing up, I can I can give them. And I know that's a lot vaguer than like, I will make my kid a baseball player. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, what are your things, Gene? What are you, the things that you're upset that you won't be able to pass down and things that you're really excited and know that you can give your child? It's funny because it's exactly the same thing. Like, hmm. I grew up, again, like in a inner city in South Philly um, on a block with a bunch of kids. And we... In the summertime, we were just outside all the time, right? Like, we were playing, right. playing basketball together. We were racing together. It was boys and girls playing together, right? Like, when we were really young, it was just me and my sister. And so, like, if she wanted to jump double dutch, I would have to, like, tie the rope to the banister outside of the house and be on the ends while she jumped double dutch. I just, like, want that weird way that, like, all the little double dutch songs get, like, transmitted through a neighborhood. I just, like, 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 like wish that they would be a space like that for kids. But I don't know if kids jump double dutch anymore. I feel like I feel so old when I say that. But the big thing that I'm excited about is like, I mean, I think about this a lot. It's like the kind of letters we get from our listeners on the show a lot are about people trying to like find community with, you know, with other black people or Asian people or Latino people when they didn't grow up around them. And I feel really fortunate that I grew up in a world where like my teachers were black and, Mm. um, all of the adults in my world were black, right? And all of my classmates were black. And so I got to, like, be around black people in this way that wasn't, like, that wasn't, like, mediated, you know? And, I, and this, it seems like a, that seems like a really obvious thing for a lot of us. But, like, I'm really looking forward to raising my child in a world in which, like, blackness is, like, just in the water. And it's not a thing that I have to, like, uh, account for. I'm looking forward to the sort of, like, quotidian... <laughs> blackness of the universe that like our kid will grow up in that's beautiful gene because what you're saying basically is you want to live in a world where your child's existence is validated by the outside world absolutely i guess on a more sort of basic uh, like emotional level what has been the most surprising part of becoming a father i mean some i mean one that the cliched stuff was was right you know, and that, and also that it's okay to be cliched. You know, like I'm not 22. I'm not trying to convince some hipster in Williamsburg that you know I listen to the right music and you know I read the right things. It's like my life feels completely different. I don't see my friends as often, and generally I'm okay with it. 
because I have a family. Um, I um, look at my kid and I just I just melt. I I just am so happy that he's alive and healthy and I'm his father and um you know being able to just hold him is the best feeling in the world All right y'all that's our show you can follow us on Instagram at NPR Code Switch. That's all one word. And if email is more your jam, ours is codeswitch at npr.org. And you can subscribe to the podcast on the NPR app or wherever you get your podcasts. You should definitely holler at our newsletter. It drops every Friday in your inbox. Sign up for that at npr.org slash codeswitch newsletter. And we just wanted to give a quick shout out to our Code Switch Plus listeners. We appreciate y'all and thank you for being subscribers. When you subscribe to Code Switch Plus, it means you get to listen to all of our episodes with no sponsor breaks. And it also helps support our show. So if you rock with us, please consider signing up at plus.mpr.org slash Code Switch. This episode was produced by Xavier Lopez and Courtney Stein. It was edited by Leah Danella. Our engineer was James Willits. And we would be remiss if we did not shout out the rest of the Code Switch Massive. That's Jess Kung, Christina Kala, Dalia Mortada, Verilyn Williams, Steve Drummond, Lori Lizaraga, and B.A. Parker. As for me, I'm Jen Demby. Be easy, y'all. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Delta Airlines. When you think about it, half the trips the world takes are trips home. Home. What we all eventually long to get back to, no matter what took us away to begin with. Those at Delta know that, because all 100,000 of them are, above all, travelers just like you. It's why they try to make you feel at home long before you even get there. 